Join us at Film Society of Lincoln Center on Wednesday, May 8th at 7 p.m. for a film comment free talk with Mary Heron. Her new film, Charlie Says, looks beyond the mythology of the Manson family murders to focus on the experiences of three women under the charismatic killer's spell. For more information, visit filmlink.org. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment with features on Joanna Hogg's The Souvenir, Olivier Assayas's Nonfiction, a special section on the 50th anniversary of Film Society of Lincoln Center, reviews of new, forthcoming, and streaming releases, and more. Subscribe today at filmcomment.com. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. I'm Nicholas Rapold, the Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment, and this is our latest Rep Report, our regular roundup of retrospectives and other film series in New York. For this edition, we're focusing on an important and fun series at BAM called Black 90s, A Turning Point in American Cinema. It's a carefully curated look at major works by black filmmakers in the 1990s, such as To Sleep With Anger, Boys in the Hood, Eve's Bayou, Just Another Girl on the IRT, Belly, as well as lesser-known works such as Compensation. It's truly hard listing just a few of the movies in the series, but their place in film history and their scope is undeniable. Joining me for a discussion of Black 90s is its programmer, Ashley Clark, who's written for Film Comment about Charles Burnett and Ava DuVernay, among other subjects. Let's go to the conversation. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Nick Rapold. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment, and this is another edition of our Rep Report, uh, where we trip the repertory fantastic of what's showing in New York, uh, which is always a wonderful selection of things. It's kind of embarrassing that we are spoiled like that, but we want to share it with you. And we have a very special guest for this episode. And yeah, my name is Ashley Clark. I'm the senior repertory and specialty film programmer at BAM in Brooklyn um, and a longtime contributor to Film Comment and pop up on the podcast occasionally and always enjoy it. Yes. And, and we have to have you contribute more. But I know you are very busy. <laughs> Love to. I, I, we'll make it happen. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> Um, that's what I do on this podcast mostly. People hear me like getting people on the podcast and then haranguing them for writing to write more. So that's the whole purpose of it. Um, but what what I wanted to start out with is just kind of uh, an overview of a few of the things that are playing in New York or, or have played or will play. Uh, just kind of a top of the hour news report, as it were. Um, and there's plenty to look forward to, as usual. Um, at uh, an anthology film archives, uh, which, as I think we mentioned on our last rep report, is is going to be going under a uh, under under the knife. It's going to have a bit of a construction hiatus. Uh, but before that happens, um, they have plenty of goodies. They have a home movies series coming up, which are uh, movies ex- ex- exclusively, you know, about uh, the domestic life of filmmakers. So you know, um, highlights like you know, Stan Brackage, but also less uh, you know less lesser-known things, um, and also a trucker series that uh, one of our one of our other writers, Nick Pinkerton, has put together of uh, trucker movies, um, which is a, a subgenre I've read and heard a lot from him about, so I'm glad to see that uh, we're seeing that on screen. Uh, and then here at the Film Society, uh, we are just, at the time of the recording, uh, we are just wrapping up our Art of the Real series, um, and we'll be moving in May to an Esther Krumbochova, Krumbochova. I'm, I'm going to get angry letters from the Czechoslovak community, but that's that's the 
production costume, like uh, art, artistic, visual artistic mind uh, that was so key to uh, Vera Chitilova's movies, which actually is, had, had its own series at, at BAM. I just made that connection. And she, you know, if you watch a movie like Daisy's, I mean, the, the look of Daisy's uh, relies a lot upon um, Krumpachova's just, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it, kind of a madcap collage, uh, slightly surreal uh, aesthetic. Um, so they, they were big collaborators on, in that respect. And so I suppose if, yeah, if you've, if you've been to, to BAM to see the Chitilova series, you might have seen some of her handiwork. Uh, and you'll be able to see her, her the, the movie she worked on here at the Film Society, but also one movie she actually directed in the early 70s, uh, which is very rarely screened. So that's kind of a, an interesting thing. Um, and uh, then, of course, there's a New York African series, which I think may be underway when, by the time this comes out. And, that, and I should say, which yeah. opens at BAM on actually May the 23rd oh. uh, to the 27th. Oh, okay. Um, that's it, what I'm it ties in with our Dance Africa oh, um, okay. at BAM. And this year features a um, special focus on films uh, by and about uh, uh, the people of Rwanda. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and it also, of course, um, the, the New York African Film Festival um, has legs at Film Society and up at the Maisels in Harlem as well. So we're looking forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, that's so, so yes, you'll, you can see, see that at plenty, plenty of places. And then Film Forum, uh, as, as usual, is rolling out a gargantuan series that just suddenly drops and, and, and you kind of uh, drool over. Uh, this time it's a, a series called Decolonizing Cinema, um, which uh, is an extraordinary array of, 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 I guess, I wanted to say post-colonial films, but I guess calling it decolonizing is kind of the statement of that series. Yeah, I think that's t- the time period of it is uh, 65 to 81. It's a multi-continental series. There's a lot a lot in it, um, and it just looks absolutely fascinating. I believe it's put together by El- Elspeth Carroll at Film Forum, um, and it's just a fascinating series. Um, yeah. Semben, um, the Perfume Nightmare, the Filipino film, which I've never got around to seeing. Finally, oh, yeah. we'll get a chance to see it. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it looks magnificent. I can't wait to dig in. Yeah, well, maybe we can have you back to to, to talk about that. In, in uh, as long as you can, <laughs> you, we want to boost another place to see. Oh, happily, I think happily. we're all in this together. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Uh, so yeah, that's at the end of May. So we'll probably revisit that in in May. And just thinking about other things in the city, we also have uh, at MoMA uh, a Roberto Galvadon series, uh, which we'll have some writing about in 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 film comment, and that is. I mean, another big discovery, really. Just it's as if you suddenly discovered another Hollywood, uh, classic Hollywood great, more or less, uh, a, a director who's working on the level, you know, of of uh, any number of directors at the time, of, you know, in terms of mood, like Jacques Tourneur or um, melodrama. And I won't say too much on that because we, we might talk more talk more about that. We definitely have uh, writing about that. A wonderful piece by uh, Imogen's uh, Sarah Smith about it which I encourage you to read uh, in our new issue. And uh, I could go on. Well, that brings us to our kind of main event for the main focus for this episode, uh, which is that BAM was a series that I I, uh, I just seemed like an, an obvious um, main focus for a rep report because I think it's a series that that does film history in a way. Like it's doing history, you know, it's it's like in in making a statement. Um, and this is the Black 90s, a turning point in American cinema um, series, uh, which runs May 3rd to 22nd at BAM. And I mean, it's, I, 
I like seeing like the 90s like historicized <laughs> basically, but it's also a fun series, but it's also a series full of surprises, I think. I mean, I wondered, um, Ash, if you could just kind of talk about, you know, how it came about, what, what's, what are you, what are you doing with it? You know, um, that, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so obviously I come from a, a background in film criticism. I've been curating, uh, well, programming and curating, um, series for, for a long time, but I was predominantly a writer for, for a number of years, a film critic, and I've come to see programming as an extension of of criticism and i think the the way a number of the series that we've done at bam in recent times have been explicitly geared towards getting our audiences to to consider film history perhaps portions of film history that have been overlooked uh, i could point to uh, my colleague jesse who organized jesse trussell who organized the series um women in new hollywood a different picture uh, 1967 to 80 and the, the very deliberate thinking behind that series was to counter the the very male macho heavy yes. narrative that I guess I grew up with reading Easy Riders Raging, Raging Bulls, Bulls yeah. um, you could you could read that book and come away not thinking that yeah. women did anything other than kind of lie around the house all day in, in right. you know these macho film directors beds <laughs> um, and and it's really important to challenge and and uh, attack that history with a critical eye and particularly with, with, an, with an eye towards bringing films that are underseen into the light. We did the um, Fight the Power Black Superheroes on Film program, um, which was again, a, I, I kind of anticipated correctly as it turned out that when Black Panther, um, when the, the heat around that film really started to build, you would see lots of opinion pieces saying, oh, this is the first black superhero <laughs> film, which is of course not true. Right, um, yeah. And still that, that kind of erasure. I mean, I, 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 when I, whenever I say the word erasure, because I'm not an academic, I think of the pop duo. Okay. <laughs> and a, a little respect starts playing in my uh -huh. head, but there is a certain erasure. Um, it happened recently talking, there was an article talking about a uh, female black superhero someone was the first one and they'd completely forgotten about catwoman yeah um it doesn't make catwoman wasn't necessarily a great film and it wasn't a, a huge box office success but it existed existed yeah so all of this is is just a way to to frame the idea that when when, when we program at bam and when i'm trying to put these series together it's always with an eye of of casting a critical eye over a period mm -hmm. um i thought that the 90s um especially the age the age i am um it's a time when I can start to say things like, oh, 25 years ago and remember it very clearly. I was, yeah. I was there at the time, so there's an aspect of nostalgia about that. Mm -hmm. And a program like this that is set in this period, you know, 25, well, how were we now, 20 years? Starts yeah. only 30 years ago, I suppose. Right, yeah. So it covers a lot of ground. It covers, um, in terms of potential spectators, younger viewers mm -hmm. who are um, discovering these things for the first time, mm -hmm. uh, the filmmakers who were there at the time and, yeah. and whose work has maybe fallen into obscurity or has not been um, talked about or screened in the ways that it should have, but also people who, who were there at the time and enjoyed the work at the time and they get a chance to revisit it in the yeah. nostalgic sense. So it, it crosses a lot of um, aspects in, in that way. Um, when it came to, to programming it, that you know, I had a long, a very, very long list. You know, there's there's right. certain ways that I could have gone about this. I could have picked maybe the two or three most prolific filmmakers of the era, oh. maybe Spike Lee, who made work constantly throughout the 90s. Right. In, as it happens, I've included three of his films and kind of closed the series with the 25th anniversary of Crooklyn Great. Yeah. screening, um, which is just a beautiful film. Yeah, that I can't wait to see that. Um, and I've, I've also opted to screen Clockers and Jungle Fever, um, which I think are three of the films from that period, which show him um, experimenting stylistically, um, really kind of developing his voice in a new decade, the one uh, after he broke through. 
um, I thought I would, instead of going for depth of individual filmmakers, go for breadth and, and make it a survey. So we have um, indie dramas, the, the LA Rebellion filmmakers who broke through in the 1970s, but perhaps had quiet 80s, mm -hmm. started to again start to make very interesting work in the 90s, which has in many cases been overlooked a real interesting breakthrough, a flourishing of queer cinema, mm -hmm. um, adjacent to B. Ruby Rich's idea of new queer cinema and filmmakers like um, Marlon Riggs and Cheryl Dunye coming through. There's an interesting development of the, the music star, the, the Tupacs and the, um, oh, yeah. the Ice Cubes coming, you know, transitioning into film stardom in that decade. Mm -hmm. um, and that is really important to this series as well. These popular hits where, where you have iconography starting to ferment, to form and build. Yeah. Um, and there's romance and comedy and more popular stuff. And something I generally like to do in my programming is find space within the same framework for the most obscure films. The, the, mm -hmm. in, this, in this program, Chocolate Babies by Stephen Winter, which mm -hmm. is a wonderful kind of queer punk movie, mm -hmm. which I, believe, I, I suspect very few people will have heard of, yeah. with mm -hmm. the Fridays and the house parties and the yeah. Waiting to Exhales, because I believe that you know, there's an, the, the same audience member can get so much out of both of these. Mm -hmm. um, it's yeah. not a way to... I'm not trying to disrespect the, the particular... Um, how to put it, the, the, the particular approaches or, or, or subject matters of these films, but I think there's a way that they can coexist within the same framework effectively. Yeah, well, by all means, I mean, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's a series after my, my own heart in that sense, just because, you know, it, at least what we try to do at Film Comet is also do the same thing. So, you know, we'll, we'll, you know we, we have, you know, last year, I, you know, we were proud to have like a billion dollar blockbuster on one of our covers, but then... <laughs> let's say not <laughs> billion dollar movies. I think that's, well. that's a big part of yeah. it generally. It's just yeah. making film culture accessible, not, 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 mm -hmm. not siloing it off and saying, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, I think cine cinephilia is, is absolutely beautiful. It's the lifeblood of everything we do, yeah. but I think that also can't be at the expense of, mm -hmm. you know, we, we need to make sure that everybody who's curious or who might be interested is also yeah. welcomed in. Yeah. And I think exactly what you say about having, yeah. was it Black Panther? On yeah, the, we had on Black the cover Panther. of Phil yeah. Comment. Yeah, yeah. That's crucial to that as well. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and you were absolutely right about <laughs> the pieces that were written, uh, at, you know, after that. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, you, you're able to use your inside <laughs> journalistic, uh, you know, nose for things to, to see where things are going to turn. Um, and it, yeah, it's really important to have that. It's kind of an anticipatory corrective because yeah, erasure is the right word. I mean, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to get on a soapbox too much here so we can get into the movies, but yeah, it's, I mean, as, as a programmer, must that not just get sort of frustrating after a while to sort of see that continually happen? I mean, I don't know. It's it's both frustrating, but it's also kind of energizing in a way in terms of a, a mission from a mission perspective. Because something I always like to do, um, if I give a short introduction before a film, yeah. is to ask the crowd who's seen this film before? Raise oh, your yeah. hand. And I, you know, it's not to shame you. I can't believe you haven't seen this before, you pleb. You right. know, it's more like it's really exciting. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, we're introducing definitely. you to this work for the first time, and there is perhaps a tendency in. I, I know I, I succumb to it sometimes, maybe within cinephile circles or academic circles, when you're so immersed in your own field, mm -hmm. you can start to mistake your own deep and profound knowledge of a subject area right. as commonplace. Yes. <laughs> so it can come as a surprise when two-thirds uh, two of the audience puts the hand up and says, we haven't seen Beau Travail by Claire Denis. Right. Mm -hmm. Because us in, in our circles are so steeped in, yep. in the mythology of that movie. Mm -hmm. we, you know, we talk sure. about the sensuality of the images. And, <laughs> but a lot of people just ain't seen it. Yeah, you got to see it. <laughs> you know, you got to like, see, it. see yeah, it. Yeah. So it's really exciting to be able yeah. to um, 
expose people to that on, yeah. on, on with, with a with a really significant platform. Yeah. Well, yeah, I definitely partook of your uh, Claire Denise series to see um, U.S. Go Home, which, you know, I think we, you were sat just behind me in that. Oh, OK. Yeah. Yes, that's true. I, was, I did. I didn't want it. Yeah. Yeah. That was I the thought. first time I'd seen it myself. Oh, yeah. yeah. I had seen it only in a terrible, terrible version. So this was like I basically saw it. That's when I saw it, you know, because it's it's a. Uh, um, and yeah, and that was like a sort of packed, packed house. It was completely packed, which also made me happy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and just to, to, to pivot quickly to, yeah. to, to this, to the black 90s series, again, just speaking to the, the curation of it, that w when you have such a broad canvas in front of you, right. um, there are so many ways that, that a program like this could go. And, and one thing I, I was definitely asking myself is what is, what is a black film? What is black okay. film? It's, it's, I'm sure I've talked about this on this podcast before. I've certainly written about it. You know, this, this misapprehension that that's quite widespread that black, you know, black film is a genre in and of itself right. or like queer cinema is a genre. It's not, it, you know, within what we describe as black film contains multitudes. And within that is, is a, is a sub question of authorship. Um, and Bell Hooks in, in Real to Real um, writes an incredible essay called, I believe, Doing It for Daddy, okay. where she really lays into um, Waiting to Exhale, which is directed by Forrest Whitaker, um, which uh, we're screening in the series. Mm -hmm. um, and she questions its, its claim to being a black film if it reproduces some of the kind of regressive um, stereotypes of, of black femininity. And she argues that maybe Jim Jarmusch or John Sayles are actually cr creating more progressive um, images of blackness on screen. In, in particularly with Jarmusch, I think she talks about um, Mystery Train and... Uh -huh. um, and so on, you know, and, and yeah. so that and brother from another planet with John Sayles. Yeah. So. And then the next year he would actually have a Ghost Dog. Actually. Ghost Dog, yeah. But that, I guess that was after that. But that's interesting. A great Jersey City film, by the way. Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, right. I'm partial to Jersey City. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and it's it's a really it's it's a question that that I went around my mind many times. Mm. You know, there, there's some films that are not in this series, like you say, Ghost Dog, mm. um, which could be considered black cinema. But I thought actually, do you know what? I'm going to focus it on black filmmakers who often are overlooked or get written out of certain conversations. You know, who, who am I going to drop from this lineup to include? So I didn't want it. I don't want it to read as a kind of binary or exclu exclusionary um, approach yeah, yeah. to curating because you're a white filmmaker. Right. You can't be in this. But I had to take a particular, you know, I don't have yeah. limited space. It's a big series. It runs for almost three weeks. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, that's not unlimited space. Yeah. No, I mean, you, you focus on the makers, basically, I guess. Yeah. And, and because I guess part of what it's showing is that th there was a certain uh, movement or shift as well. I mean, maybe, maybe somewhat recklessly, uh, when it, like when I wrote, had to write these year-end essays for our, for, our, for our last year-end wrap-up, I kind of just said, I think... 2018 was a turning point, you know, if only because of, um, you know, Ryan Coogler being at the head of, 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 a, of, a, of a giant movie like that. And then, you know, went through a number of other films. But, you know, it's, it's a statement like that is kind of hopeful <laughs> in a way for what's happens. I mean, here you kind of lay out a case that is, is very persuasive, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> history is, is littered with, with, with turning points and, yeah. you know, in, in scare quotes and, and right. possible <laughs> false alarms. Um, yeah. What one of the kind of key things that I was thinking about with this series was a 1991 uh, issue of I think it was a New York Times magazine called it was July 1991 and there was a big cover splash in, entitled "They've Got to Have Us" and it had this very tightly packed frame with um, the Hudlin brothers, Maddie Rich, Spike Lee, Charles Lane, 
Um, John Singleton, who we should say we're obviously oh, right. thinking about in light of um, his recent health issue. Yeah. It's incredibly like tragic and, yeah. and shocking. Um, we're recording this early, so yeah. yeah. And this was a very male, very kind of popular inclined um, right. style film, and, and and this was like the new black wave of filmmakers. Right. And that that's that's an interesting point because it showed that. It, it, it intersects a lot of questions about black being in, black mm-hmm. being commercially viable. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in the early 90s, you know, riding off the wave of, of Spike Lee's enormous breakthrough. Right. Um, and obviously this plays into what I think is one of the key early narratives of, of black 90s cinema, which is the quote-unquote hood movie, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. maybe the, the, one of the most prevalent right. um, subgenres with your menace to society, New Jack City, um, Boys in the Hood, obviously. And and to, to the point where it's such a, a micro genre that Spike Lee is even critiquing that with Clockers right. a few years later. You know, it, it becomes its own um, little microclimate. Um, but this is a very male-dominated space. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was very important to me in this series to focus on women filmmakers of the period who, who've been overlooked. And I should also point to an extraordinary series that uh, Nelly programmed at BAM uh, w- with Michelle Mater called oh. One Way or Another. Yeah black women's film from, I think it was 77 to 91, which was another big narrative correction. Right, right. Um, so that was something I was thinking about with this. Um, we and should, should we just, Maybe should we just jump into some of those films uh, that you're, you're thinking of um, with the uh, female filmmakers? Yeah, I mean, so, so the first weekend has, has a, a kind of strong um, woman filmmaker presence mm-hmm. with um, some of the filmmakers from the LA Rebellion, um, mm-hmm. like Julie Dash and Zainabu Irene Davis, um, and Alile Sharon Larkin, um, to name but three, um, who came to came to um, make films in the seventies as part of at, as, at the UCLA Film School, um, and then start, we're kind of constantly making things. But this was the subject of a huge retrospective and restoration project by UCLA a few years ago, which unearthed a lot more films that were that were made. So some of the smaller titles like um, Compensation, which is from the late 90s, which is this incredibly uh, ambitious two time period drama. By, yeah, I'm very uh, curious about that. I, I really urge, I don't want to say too much about it um, on, on the pod because yeah. it's a film, it's so eloquent, you know, speaking yeah. about, you know, yeah. I, I, I couldn't put into words what this film's doing. Yeah. I wouldn't even try, but I would really recommend coming along to see that. Yeah. Uh, we have that's a mar- 20th anniversary, it looks like. For that yes, well. um, and that's a 16 mil print of that. Um, and then obviously Daughters of the Dust, um, which is a pivotal movie for many reasons. It was released in 1992 by Julie Dash, and it became the first theatrically released feature film by a black woman in America, which is quite a shockingly late date. Yeah. Um, and in the interim, that's gone through a long period of obscurity. It came back. It was heavily quoted by Beyonce in, in Lemonade. It was the fulcrum of the One Way or Another program at BAM a few years ago. And its reputation is really restored. But I'd still, speaking to what we were talking about a moment ago, mm-hmm. I don't want to rest on my laurels and assume that everybody's seen it. Right. Yeah. You know, I still think it needs to, continues to find an audience. Yeah, I um, mean, just, just you know, for for me, like that's a film that also I think I was ex- exposed to first in the like, academic context. Like it was this yeah. sort of academic artifact, also that was like supposed to represent something in history, and then you went on to the next thing, and and it's just become more and more absurd. And it, that can be it, the danger of a- academicizing yeah. something to to that extent. Yeah. It can it can close off the formal the 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 sensual qualities of the film. Yeah. It's so beautifully shot yeah. um, by Arthur Jaffer. Yeah. 
and the it has a bit of slap bass on the soundtrack. Oh yeah, which always takes me by surprise. So <laughs> it's, it's a little bit Seinfeld. <laughs> well, it is 1991. Yeah, I'm not sure that was quite the the Guller <laughs> traditional Guller style, but but it works. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and and it's just beautifully, just the costumes and the colors and the tone and the space and the the pace and the rhythm of the film it's such a beautiful thing to behold yeah. uh, on the big screen uh, also on the opening weekend not related uh, to the la rebellion but um just another girl on the irt by yeah. leslie harris a brooklyn filmmaker which came out in 1992 is an amazing coming of age story a young girl trying to make it in in new york city and this is a wonderful film but one aspect of this is a slightly poignant idea of a retrospective series in that you look at what the filmmaker has gone on to do afterwards. Right. And as far as I know, this is to date Leslie Harris's sole significant feature. I yeah. know that she's been trying to get move, get work funded. Um, she'll be in to talk about the film with film comment contributor Taylor Montague. We'll be uh, hosting that Q&A oh, on Sunday the 5th of May, the first Sunday of the series. That's great. Um, and you'll be able to find out a bit more. And I wanted, I was interested in having those two speak to have it like an intergenerational mm -hmm. um, conversation. I have to say that's kind of perfect casting. <laughs> yeah, and I'm really looking forward to yeah. that. And I think it, it would just be interesting to hear from Leslie herself about the, some of the struggles that she's found in yeah. financing when she made such a a fully fleshed and, and beyond promising debut, I think. We are proud to welcome independent film luminary Mary Heron for our latest film comment free talk on Wednesday, May 8th at 7 p.m. at Film Society of Lincoln Center. Heron, the director of I Shot Andy Warhol and American Psycho, will sit down to discuss Charlie Says, her provocative new film on the Manson family murders. Join us May 8th for what's sure to be a hair-raising, if not quite helter-skelter, conversation. For more information, visit filmlink.org. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, with features on Joanna Hogg's The Souvenir, Olivier Assayas's Nonfiction, Mindy Kaling's Late Night, and an in-depth look at the language of lenses. Plus, a tribute to Agnes Varda, a special section on the 50th anniversary of Film Society of Lincoln Center, a reassessment of a Mexican auteur, and reviews of new, forthcoming, and streaming releases, and much more. Subscribe today at filmcomment.com. I don't know, I always feel like I end up just reaching back to my own memory of seeing things in, in, in the 90s. But yeah, that was a film when I was going to see things in high school in New York. Like, you know, I, I was I was seeing that like alongside like a Michael Almereta, like Nadja or something or... So yeah, it is strange, <laughs> if that's the word, you know, that... that And I've read a re relatively recent interview with, with Leslie Harris where, yeah, it, it, it is... You know, it seems yeah. yeah. I, I, should, I, mean, I should be clear. It's also not a, a mystery that black uh -huh. women have a rough time. You know, yeah, like sure, exactly. Yeah, if it's bad for black men in the industry, it's really bad for black women yeah. who don't get support, don't get, mm, yeah. don't get the mentoring. It's wonderful that there are figures coming through. Yeah. Ava DuVernay and and I say mm. coming through. I mean, Ava DuVernay has been doing this work for a long time. Yeah, yeah. But being able to bring through and and, and nurture other mm. filmmakers, D. Rees as well, and Lena Waithe. You know, that that I think there are promising signs but that ultimately doesn't mitigate for the fact that there are filmmakers who for decades you know leslie harris should be on film number seven film number eight now yeah yeah um and then the the other um a couple of films that i'd like to give a shout out in the opening few days of the series one of my very favorite films is uh, eve's bayou yes. not just in the series but of all time oh really? um, it's just an extraordinary film. Um, I mean, speaking of like, we were just talking about Daughters of the Dust and the kind of sensual feel. I mean, Eve's bio is, yeah. mean, it's kind of a classic of, of the genre, the goth, gothic feel that it's partaking a, in. Got a kind of gothic family drama. Yeah. With a, very, a kind of 
menacing turn by Samuel L. Jackson, who's in understated yeah. mode, you know, and sometimes, and I don't want to throw sh any shade on Samuel L. Jackson because he's brilliant, but he yeah. works so much. There's mm -hmm. that slight kind of Nicolas Cage aspect <laughs> to him. Yeah. Not, not to the same extent, but yeah. because he does so much, because mm -hmm. he's in commercials, because he does these roles where he's screaming and shouting and snakes on motherfucking planes, etc. Right. <laughs> you can sometimes forget just how good he can be. Yeah. And I think Samuel L. Jackson in Eve's Bayou um, is just this masterfully understated, menacing performance. Yeah. He's also brilliant in a completely different register in Jungle Fever, oh, for right. which Can yeah. had to invent a special prize for him. Oh, wow. He's oh. playing Wesley Snipes' crackhead brother mm -hmm. um, by the name of Gator Purify. <laughs> Um, we could have a whole pod yeah. on Spike Lee's character yeah. names. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and then um, another film in the opening weekend uh, is Down in the Delta from 1998. Um, yeah, that's, that's a film that, that's a, that's a film really doesn't get screened much at yeah. all. Yeah, um, it's real real kind of obscurity, but it happens to be the, the only film directed by uh, Maya Angelou, of all yeah. people, um, in 1998. Um, and again, it, thematically and in terms of setting, it's that kind of deep south, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. slow burn family drama with a fantastic performance by Alfre Woodard, mm -hmm. who um, we, we, everyone will be talking about come Oscar yes, time next absolutely. year. In the fall. Um, because she's in a film called Clemency, yes. a, a death row drama, yeah. um, which is coming out around Christmas this year. It is. Uh, and Alfre Woodard, who popped up in 12 Years a Slave by Steve McQueen for five minutes and I think was one of the best things in the film. Yes. Yeah, you know, and it's going to be great to be introducing uh, audiences yeah. to, to her performance in this. And then in a different register, you have um, the, the more populist films, yeah, the ones that garnered that box office attention and probably at the time got people really excited yeah. about this new coming black wave. Yeah. Um, and you have like House Party and, and Boomerang hmm. um, by the Hudlin brothers. And obviously Reginald Hudlin has gone on to become um, a big time producer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, he, he was a producer on Django Unchained. Right. And he, you know, he, he's made a big industry career. Warrington Hudlin's also had a great career. He, he's, um, you know, curator and filmmaker and, and raconteur and just yeah. a great guy. And um, it's going to be fun to look back on, on those films that became so iconic yeah. um, in, in, in black culture, like particularly Boomerang, which is uh, maybe some of its sexual politics don't hold up so well, <laughs> you know, but I don't believe in cancelling yeah. films yeah. <laughs> uh, so much um, as long as people uh -huh. go into Boomerang yeah. in the knowledge that its sexual politics are not fully endorsed time by, by its curator um, <laughs> that said it features an amazing cast of um, uh, Grace Jones Halle Berry um, Eartha Kitt I mean, if that doesn't make you want to come see yeah, it yeah, um, and, and Eddie Murphy in, in what was actually a rare romantic lead mm -hmm. um, yeah. and then House Party which spawned 77 sequels but yeah. i do believe the the original is still the best see that might be the one point of controversy for for the series uh -oh. house party versus house party 2 oh dear yeah <laughs> nick, nick nick's just told me off off no, mic that he's not I'm coming not, to any no, of it he's... it's a controversy i'm just aware of i, <laughs> yeah. I would never yeah so yeah. that's where the angry letter came from <laughs> that's it. to my to my home address as well um stones being thrown at the window <laughs> Um, yeah, it's th that's another thing. I mean, I, we could have done a, a whole house party night um, yeah. takeover, takeover, <laughs> and then some of the the slightly smaller comedy titles like "Fear of a Black Hat," um, mm -hmm. which is um, a kind of hip hop spinal tap. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, it came out at the same time as another film called CB4, yes, uh, which had with Chris, Chris Rock, Rock. Yeah, which is kind of more well known. Mm -hmm. But um, "Fear of a Black Hat," I was gonna, yeah, it, it, let's let's say NWH. 
And instead of attitude, it's hats. The joke oh, right, is right, that yeah. they, <laughs> the, these gentlemen have hats. Um, <laughs> and anybody who likes PM Dawn, for example, will appreciate mm-hmm. the PM Dawn parody oh, okay. act, New Human Formantics. <laughs> um, yeah, th- this is one of those kind of obscure films. That, uh-huh. uh, you know, it, and, and it has, what I like about Fear of a Black Hat is that it has some real kind of pretty sharp social commentary in there as well. Like it's not mm. just a, a spoof or knockabout. Yeah. It's saying some stuff about, systemic racism and white supremacy in America um, in a way that makes you stop and think. Um, I I like it very much. So it was important to me that we, you know, we have the serious films, but we also have the comedies in there Mm -hmm. too. Sure. And you also have an animated feature. Bebe's Kids. uh, The the late, great Robin Harris, um, who was just a a brilliant comic talent. Maybe his most high-profile on-screen role is as one of the corner boys in... um, do the right thing against that oh. incredible bright red wall. Uh-huh. And his name is uh, Sweet Dick Willie, I believe, in, um, in Do the Right Thing. And he, he died very young. He, he died mm. um, long, long before, before his time was due. And um, Bebe's Kids is, is a bit, another bit of a cult classic. Um, yeah. Fun for all the family with a bit of an edge, I, I will say. <laughs> and that was an animated series on TV mm-hmm. too, right? Yeah. yeah. I remember that. And then we have some of the thrillers in there, Set It Off. Yes. Um, Devil in a Blue Dress. Mm-hmm. Rage in Harlem. Harlem. Yeah. You know, th- sure. it was a decade where black filmmakers were starting to, to tackle some uh, noir and mm-hmm. heist conventions and make yeah. popular successes out of them. And I think that's really interesting. Yeah. And that Devil in a Blue Dress was, was that, did that come right after One False Move or right before? One False Move's earlier. So Early, One yeah, False yeah. Move, uh, which we screened at BAM as part of our ongoing series, Beyond the Canon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. uh, a double bill series where we pair kind of one canonized, uh, yeah. very well-known film by a white male filmmaker. In this case, we showed uh, Touch of Evil mm-hmm. um, with a film that, a thematically related film that might have yeah. otherwise been overlooked by a filmmaker yeah. from a group that traditionally gets overlooked. Mm-hmm. So we screened One False Move with that. And yeah, Carl Franklin, again, another filmmaker. So who perhaps you think maybe didn't, ha- hasn't made right. you, such obvious talent in these films yeah. in One False Move and Devil in a Blue Dress, such obvious mastery of tone and mood. Yeah. And so, so there's yeah. there's a poignancy to this series, I think, as well. I don't know why I'm here like testing. I remember, but, like, <laughs> but yeah, I, I remember those films being, I mean, even just among like film nerd friends, Big those deals, being cause right? celeb, you know, yeah. real, and uh, especially One False Move. I mean, yeah, you know, you can remember, the, yeah, a shout out in like a, a David Foster Wallace essay of all places to, to that film and, and discussing that. And it's it's weird also, I mean, just stepping back a bit in terms of like film cultural context for, for looking at the 90s now, this is a moment where 1999 is doing its victory lap uh, with a book about 99. Yeah, it's frightening. <laughs> it's genuinely frightening yeah. to think that that was 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, and um, there, yeah. there is uh, certainly uh, in a lot of um, that nostalgia for that that decade is coming up a lot in the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and of course there is that the the aspect of nostalgia to this series mm-hmm. um, yeah. where, where blogs and and websites are, are throwing back to the the nineties now twenty five twenty fifth anniversary of things twentieth anniversary of yeah. things. Um, there's that amazing um, Twitter account which is like nineties opening 90s like red oh, carpets yeah, yeah, the red carpets, and yeah. you're seeing these um <laughs> these looks yeah that 
kind kind of didn't quite register as yeah. looks per se at the time, but now they could not have come from any other era. Yeah, yeah. There's one amazing one of Paul Thomas. I can't remember which film. Maybe it's Eyes Wide Shut, uh -huh. but it's Paul Thomas Anderson and Fiona Apple turning up at the premiere, and he's wearing like flip flops and just ridiculous <laughs> giant giant trousers, which probably didn't arouse comment at the no. time but now you look at it and yeah so so again and that i don't want to i was talking earlier about the danger dangers of academicizing if that's even a word or theorizing too much this this is fun as yeah. well like yeah. you know it's it's a fun thing for people to come out and see these styles and yeah. these fashions mm -hmm. and the, the the music in these films oh you yeah know? um this this these a lot of these films are ahead of a lot of fun you know you look at films mm -hmm. like belly these sure, hyper-realist, yeah. amazing, bizarre masterpiece directed by Hype Williams, <laughs> the preeminent music video director of his generation who worked with Buster Rhymes and Missy Elliott. You know, these are new visual languages being developed mm -hmm. that then they were very influential on, on black art in the 2000s and beyond. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's a sliding scale of filmmakers in this series who went on to have successful careers. Mm -hmm. um, for, you know, some like F. Gary Gray went really, became incredibly successful, mm -hmm. plowing down that very um, genre popular route. Mm -hmm. Brilliant, talented filmmaker. Yeah. And, and th that's how he found he was able to... Yeah. To, to forge a career you know he's making great work today still mm -hmm. um so so it should it should be fun it should be a chance to reflect on an era yeah. and i just hope that people are, are finding new stuff from it yeah and, it, and i hope that it complicates people's ideas of, of what black film is it's really a remarkable series uh, and just you know something to see uh, every day I, I know i'll be going so uh, again that's black 90s uh, a turning point in american cinema at bam and uh, Ashley, thank you so much. You've been listening to the Film Comment Podcast with music by Greg Einge. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comment. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle.